Join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. We're so grateful that you are our mighty fortress. You are our shield, our rock, our defender. We come today to worship you. And in spite of things and circumstances, we realize that you're on the throne, ruling and reigning. We've come not only to worship you with our lips, but we've come to present our tithes and our offerings as a token of our love and commitment to you. May you bless this time. Bless the gift and multiply it fourfold. And Father, we pray that you will use these gifts to spread the gospel throughout the world. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of this special time of giving. And there is joy in our hearts to be able to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen.
say tear that light us down the big ships don't sail this way anymore there's no need of it standing round if my mind goes back to that stormy night when just in time I saw the light, yes, the light of that old lighthouse that stands up there on the If God is God, why does He allow evil in our world? Tragedies are among us, but yet God has a greater plan than just what we see at hand. As I look through the Scriptures, and you as well, you will find that every time that God uses an individual, they have gone through great conflict and affliction. And so there on the screen, I want you to just think about it just for a few moments, of all the ones who've gone through afflictions and tragedies in their life. Possibly you today. Right where you're sitting, you're going through great affliction. It may be physical. It may be marital. Possibly you and your mate is contemplating splitting, or possibly you've already done that. Possibly you're experiencing a conflict with your young teenager, or your children, or your neighbor. Possibly you've gone to the doctor and you've heard the C word. What do you do? What do you do? 
Look with me as we think about these in our scriptures today. begin with the fire disaster unfolding in California tonight. At least 22 wildfires are still burning. They are growing and threatening more homes. A short time ago, the entire city of Calistoga ordered to evacuate. 5,300 people are now on the move tonight. And look at these new images this evening of the desperate escape from the flames in Santa Rosa. Homes, cars, everything burning along the way out. The destruction so complete, whole neighborhoods turned to ashes. More than 3,500 homes and businesses now gone. Tonight, the death toll is climbing and hundreds of people are still missing. ABC's Matt Gutman leads us off from Santa Rosa tonight. Tonight, firefighters on the front lines are pushed to the limit, nearly helpless against their enemy, the wind. These fires are just literally uh, burning faster than firefighters can run. Racing to save others while their own homes burn. 
myself, uh, several of my friends. I understand that we have about at least seven of us from Santa Rosa Fire Department, several from uh, Santa Rosa Police Department, Sonoma County Sheriff's Department. Uh, they did lose our homes. Since exploding Sunday night, the fire's still out of control, torching 170,000 acres. This new video from the Sonoma Sheriff's Office showing officers' terrifying escape from the flames. And overnight, new evacuation orders in Sonoma and Napa counties, and anxious moments for this mother. My son, I'm not sure if my son is still there. Soon learning, he'd gotten out too. 80 people with respiratory issues rushed from this veteran's home. By dawn, officials going door to door, telling 2,000 residents of Calistoga in the heart of wine country to leave immediately. They just came and knocked on the door and let us know it's time to go. More than 3,500 structures damaged or destroyed. What you see here is being called an urban assault. That fire melting these mobile homes down to the steel chassis. Now, what's so shocked firefighters is that that firestorm leapt over this major highway, engulfing other parts of Santa Rosa, and it's those kinds of conditions that are expected again tonight. Those winds forecast to gust up to 40 miles an hour. At least 21 dead, a number certain to rise. At that mobile home park, this officer is cordoning off this area because they just found a body in the rubble. It was Bob Tunis's 69-year-old mother, Linda. Probably just didn't hear people knocking on her door at 3 a.m. I don't know. Tonight, well over 300 still reported missing and complicating things, the ability to communicate. Those flames claiming at least 73 cell phone towers. Only the hardiest of things have survived that inferno, including the tab of steel in Brady Harville's hand. Your personal dog tags? Yeah, the ones I deployed with. They're like all burnt oh up now. Wow. After I deployed, I gave them to my dad, and he had them hanging in his man cave. It took him two hours of digging to find his most precious possession. You got goosebumps right now. Yeah, I do. It's crazy. <laughs> it's mind-blowing. Well, we're so glad he found those tags and Matt with us live again tonight. And Matt, there are now reports that downed power lines and exploding transformers are being investigated as one possible cause here for at least some of these fires. That's right, David. PG&E, that's the utility company here. And you can see them behind me reinstalling downed power lines. Now, the company says in a statement that there were equipment issues at the time the fire here started, caused by, quote, hurricane-strength winds. But that's just one possible cause for the 22 fires burning in California right now. David.
seems to be afflictions all around us. Hard to understand. Hard to comprehend. Living your whole life working for home and your possessions. And just like that, it's gone. God being God, what is He up to? I want you to join with me for a few moments in prayer, praying for these victims, praying that God would usher into them His grace, His love, and His comfort. Would you bow with me in prayer? Right there where you're sitting. Would you share that prayer on the behalf of these so unfortunate people? Holy Father our heart breaks when we see that so many lives have experienced great great affliction could very well happen to every one of us that is in this building today where lives have been taken, dreams have been diminished, hopes seem to have vanished. But oh God, we know that you hear and you're sensitive to our pain. Oh God, we come lifting up each and every one of these individuals today. Where their homes have been destroyed, loved ones have died, their dreams have been taken away. May you surround them with your love and your grace. God, will you help them in the midst of their infirmities. Will you demonstrate your love like you have never have before?
Lord, we are reminded of the time that Jesus Christ was there upon the cross. He was beaten, flogged, and crucified. No doubt, it broke the heart of the Father. So that you know what pain is all about. Help us, dear Lord, as believers, to trust you greater than we have ever before. And not allow circumstances to determine our faith. But that through the Word of God, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we'll find ourselves growing closer to you even though we cannot understand. Thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you for understanding. Thank you for answering our prayer. Blessed be the name of the Holy God, Jehovah. For He is great and mighty. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Out of afflictions, I believe there's four things that we can learn and that we can experience. And our staff is going to lead us in those in that direction. Seeing all of these things that have been happening, it's really difficult to navigate through those things and think about those things. And the reason we wanted to do this prayer service. We had an intention of doing a prayer service anyway, but the heartbeat of the, of the four of us meeting was really how, as Christians, what should be our response when things like this happen? Uh, the thing that's been really getting me is the, the, the shooting. It's breaking my heart. Uh, people who went to have a good time. Fathers, sons, daughters, school teachers, nurses, doctors. And it's like, God, what? I trust you and I know that you have a plan and a purpose for the pain that's going on, but what, what can you teach us in this? So we outline really four things that God produces in us. But it's God produces these things if we let him. We have to be willing to. And the first thing is hurt. God allows us to hurt for a reason, for a purpose. Sometimes God wants us to feel hurt so that he can turn our sympathy for people into empathy for people. Sympathy says, 
I feel sorry for you. And my condolences go out to you. Empathy says, I'm going to hurt with you. And I'm going to walk through this with you. And so God allows us to hurt, to go through things that are, are, are tough, to experience pain, so that we can use that as a platform to hurt with other people when they go, when they go through something. It's turning our sympathy into empathy. And I believe that we'll be much more effective in life when we're able to empathize with other people's hurt. Because we have carried our own hurt ourselves. And so when someone else is hurting, someone else's heart is broken, our hearts break with them. And pain is pain. Whether you've experienced your dog dying or whether you have cancer, pain is pain. It's futile. There are not levels to it. Pain is pain. And I think God sometimes allows us to walk through that so that we can empathize with people and minister to other people. And I'm going to kind of let Tim come up and, I guess, follow, follow up with that. Just like Andrew said, God can allow hurt. We can certainly hold ourselves up into a home and not our, allow ourselves to be hurt. But when we go out there, there is a risk. But God is our help as well. If we allow God to produce in us, we can be helped and we can be a helper. Listen to this, Hebrews 4.14, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. A lot of us might sit there and say, I don't need help. I'm okay. I got this. I'll work through it on my own. When God is saying, let me help you. And it might be through somebody else because in our tragedy, in our testing, can produce the testimony that we might need to hear. Sometimes somebody might come into your life and say the things you need to hear and may even use Scripture, but guess what? Maybe you weren't ready to receive that Scripture at that point. And there's, 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 there's um, stages of grief. I get that. There's, there's denial. There's anger. There's bargaining. There's depression. There's acceptance. There's stages of grief, grief to go through. Maybe you went to be a helper to someone and they just rejected you. Well, maybe they were in anger. Maybe they were in one of those stages that it was hurting at that point. Be wise about your helping. But God does want us to come and help. I think of the scripture, Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching, God wants us to be helped, and he wants us to help others.
oftentimes when we uh, are offered help or oftentimes fail to see the help that is offered to us, it is because of our pride. Many times we face great trial or uh, or tremendous pain or tragedy in our lives that is something that is very private to us or that we feel great shame over because we think perhaps our fault or whatever. And we're not willing to uh, let others see or come alongside. But God still offers and he extends that to us in many ways. When the children of Israel were brought out of the slave camps of Egypt, across the sea and into the desert, immediately they were met with trial. And immediately they began to complain. Immediately they wanted to go back to the way things were because they felt it was better. Moses writes in Deuteronomy chapter 8, as the Lord speaks through Moses, he says, Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. God did not desert his people when they came out of Egypt, but he led them, led them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. His people didn't always understand the route that the Lord was taking, but he never led them astray. You see, you and I can always be sure that God will never lead us where the grace of God cannot keep us or the power of God enable us to glorify the Lord. One of the hardest lessons God's people must learn is to accept God's will and obey him without protest or complaint. If the Jews had taken time to look back and recall their journey from Egypt to Canaan, they would have seen that each stage in the journey brought them more, taught them more about themselves and about God. They would see themselves as living in the past and afraid of the future, doubting God's love and his ability to see them through. And this frequent com- their frequent complaining revealed their lack of love for the Lord, and their rebellion showed their lack of submission to his will. That great missionary, Hudson Taylor, in every place where he paused, he put down his tent stakes. He put up a plaque which read, Ebenezer Jehovah Jerry. These words mean, hitherto hath the Lord helped us, the Lord will see to it. As God's people, we see that the Lord has been faithful, and as we look ahead, We know that he will provide. God will provide.
I have found recently in my own life that out of affliction creates a hunger. A hunger to know God and to know His will. And to understand what He is trying to teach us in the midst of the trial and the difficulty that we're going through. I've seen this in our nation. I've seen this on the news as I have listened to individuals of how people have begun to seek God. I'm reminded what Second Chronicles 7.14 reminds us of. Call unto me and I'll show you great and mighty things that thou knowest not. And I believe that hunger is created by the Spirit of God so that God may teach us and may mature us into being that soldier for the Lord Jesus Christ. We've talked about afflictions. We've talked about our adoration of the Lord. But I believe that we need to close here today of an affirmation that we serve a mighty God and that this God does not allow anything to go by without being used for His glory. God has a compassion upon the vulnerable and the afflicted. And may we focus our attention upon that at this moment. Throughout the scriptures, we see in God's redemptive history that time and again God's people were attacked Sometimes it seems slaughtered and overrun. And they questioned, they wondered, they wondered where God was. But God always had a plan, had a reason. Psalm 7, verses 12 through 16, explains that while we are enduring all of this, God is busy. Verse 12, if anyone does not repent, God will sharpen his sword. He has strung his bow and made it ready. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He tips his arrows with fire. See, the wicked one is pregnant with evil, conceives trouble and gives birth to deceit. He dug a pit and hollowed it out, but fell into the hole he had made. His trouble comes back on his own head and his violence falls on the top of his head. In this display of of vengeance from the psalmist, God would not relent or he would not be turned back from pursuing wrath. But he sharpened his sword and he readied his bow with flaming arrows. All his deadly weapons were prepared. They were poised. They were pointed at the enemies of his chosen ones. God is in a constant state of war against his enemies. The enemy is the object of 
God's deadly aim. Here in this passage, pictured as a pregnant woman, the enemy conceived much evil and trouble. But this would lead to his own disillusionment. He would dig a hole intending to capture the innocent, only to fall into it to his own destruction. Whatever evil action he took, it would recoil on himself. Believers will often be unfairly criticized and even attacked by co-workers, family members, and friends for our Christian faith. How should we respond under when we are under assault? In such tribulations, we should run to God, who is our only safe fortress. We should take refuge in him who is our rock. Of He alone can deliver us from our adversaries. When accused, we must search our own hearts to determine if the charges are true. If there is merit in the accusations, repentance must occur. Nothing would be worse than defending oneself if the accusation has validity. But if the attack is unfounded and is for the sake of righteousness, one must leave this matter with the Lord. He is the righteous judge who will bring his justice to bear on behalf of his people. Believers must not retaliate against their foes, but they should leave wrath with the Lord. God, the believer's shield and savior, is worthy to be praised because he deflects the enemy's arrows and protects his people. Then comes the judgment of God. God opposes evil. God judges evil. Have you ever wanted to be the judge? Every time I ride down the highway, I want to be the judge. Somebody cut me off. I want to hmm, just seek justice, right? He is the judge. He is the one. He has a plan for evil. I think of Psalm 11, 5. It says, the Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Psalms 11, 5. I think of Romans 12, 19. It says, beloved, do not avenge yourselves but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. When we want to be judge, we're saying, my vengeance will be greater and better than yours, Lord. We can't say that to him. Let him be the judge. His plan for evil, his plan for evil, Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned Everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. My sin, your sin, the plan for evil 
was to pour all of that on his one and only son, Jesus, at the cross. Jesus paid for it. That was his plan. He couldn't even look. God the Father could not even look on his son, Jesus, because at that point, all your evil, all my evil was on him at that moment. That was his plan, to judge evil, to be able to give grace. Now, how do we respond to that? Our response to evil is something that every one of us has to take an account of. Yes, we live in an evil world. And there are evil actions that are all around us. But I'm reminded of a couple passages of Scripture. Psalms 34, verse 18. It says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And save such as a contrite spirit. Did you notice what he says? And saves such that have a contrite spirit. My friend, while we're sitting here today, we could have a contrite spirit. We are individuals that are affected by evil in so many ways. But we're reminded of, and most importantly, is that God the Father sent His only begotten Son into an evil world. That whosoever believeth in Him would not perish Perish to this evil, perish to the judgment, perish to eternity. But have everlasting life. The Bible reminds us also in Psalm 72, verse 12 and following, it says, For he will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also, and him who has no helper, He will spare the poor and needy and will save the souls of the needy. And He will redeem their life from oppression and violence. And precious shall be their blood in His sight. By the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be rescued. Oh, I'm not talking about rescued from the conflicts of this world, but I'm talking about the rescue of the torments of the next world. I wonder if there's someone here today. You're going through an affliction. How are you responding? Are you angry? Are you bitter? Are you upset? Or have you responded by saying, Lord, here am I. Use me for your glory. In this invitation, what I would like for us to do today really is threefold.
Number one, if you haven't never trusted Christ as your Savior, that today would be the day that He may come and rescue you and sit you upon a solid rock. Two, you're in the midst of afflictions or a midst of conflict. Would you come and just bow before the presence of God and submit yourself to Him and to allow Him to teach you and to mature you and to grow you into the image of Christ. And three, would you come and join with me to pray for our neighbors around this world, around our nation. I think about all the victims, thousands upon thousands, that have been affected by these great tragedies. May God surround them with His grace and give them strength and wisdom and knowledge. So I would like for us to close as God's people around the altar praying. As we stand, as we sing, would you come and join with me today?